Hi everybody, welcome to FNS Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, back in the basement to talk about Impact Wrestling's most recent offering from last night, and that is their turning point pay-per-view featuring a main event of Moose defending the Impact Wrestling World Championship against Eddie Edwards in a Metal Mayhem match. As well, we'll have an X Division Championship match, three-way between Macklin, Laredo Kid, and the champion Trey Miguel. Knockouts champion Mickey James also defends her title against the number one contender Mercedes Martinez, among some other matches along the way. So I did stay up, watched almost the entire thing live last night, and then hit some technical issues in the middle of the main event. Finally had to abandon that, finish the last, I don't know, five or six minutes of that match this morning, and then went back and watched the pre-show actually after I'd watched everything from the main show. And as somebody who watches TNA, sorry, Impact Wrestling, and reviews it every week. I know it's kind of hard to find anybody that's talking about the pay-per-views, especially for free. So we at FNS Wrestling still offer everything for free. We have no plans of charging for anything at this point. I mean, not enough people really listen to make that worthwhile anyways, but please consider the amount of content you're getting from us with no ads, no fees, no pleas for any sort of money of any kind. It's just something I like to do as a hobby now, come down here and talk about the wrestling that I just watched. So I figure we could do that now. Let's start talking about Impact Wrestling's Turning Point. So the pre-show, we're going to get two matches tonight. And the first is sort of a bit of a switch because it is Rohit Raju and Raj Singh taking on Finjuice in a tag team match. Now, this was originally billed as being Decay. Commentary tell us, interestingly enough, that Decay were, what was the word they used, whisked away to Wrestle House on the, this week's episode of Impact Wrestling, which, if you listen to our main show on Saturdays, we just did episode 70. I do that show with my teenage son, Jack, and he, after listening to me in the past, complain about Russell House every opportunity I got every time it appeared on Impact Television. He thinks it is hysterical that it has come back just to sort of torture me, so he laughed maniacally at that. Quite enjoys that I'm going to have to suffer through Russell House and talk about it on a weekly basis. But anyways, the reason it is interesting that Decay, sort of Black Taurus and Crazy Steve were whisked away and unable to be here is because later on in this show, we will in fact have Decay the other half of Decay, which is Rosemary and Havoc, they somehow were not whisked away, even though they will be in Wrestle House along with the rest of Decay. Somehow they avoided the supernatural portal or black hole or whatever it was that sucked everyone into Wrestle House long enough to show up on this show and participate in a match. But I guess Black Taurus and Crazy Steve were not as lucky, so we get a replacement, and it is Rohit Raju and Raj Singh taking on Finn Juice in this match. So again, like I said in the intro... I did watch this after I'd watched the main show. I went back and watched that this morning after watching 95 or so percent of the main show last night before I had some issues in the main event. So I had seen the show when I saw this one, but basically this is just a straight up tag team match and a pretty much what I expected, which is a way for Finley to start sort of getting some wins as they did, were not unsuccessful sort of going after the tag team championships because everybody is when it's the good brothers champion and they don't feel like dropping the titles to anybody but that's a rant for a later time 
So uh, this match starts out, and it's Rohit and Finley. So they started with some quick holds and counters. Both of these guys are incredibly fast. We get some fast rope running and a leg sweep by Rohit before a leaping European uppercut by Finley. Finley body slams Juice onto Rohit after the baby faces make a tag here. We then get a delayed vertical suplex by Juice Robinson to Rohit for a two count. Some more double teaming by Finjuice as Juice is sort of stretching out Rohit from the ropes uh, face down and Finley leapfrogs over Juice and lands on Rohit's lower back. A little bit later, Rohit distracts the ref uh, momentarily and that allows Raj Singh to hit a belly-to-back suplex to Finley on the apron to sort of turn the tide. We get a nice Ushiguroshi by Singh as the heels are now isolating Finley for quite a while in this match. We do finally get the hot tag to Juice Robinson. He lands a lot of punches, too many punches for me. Your hot tag should not be... 90% punches, but anyways, it is, and then he lands a sort of squatting senton as well. He then goes on to hit running cannonball to each opponent in opposite corners, a backbreaker elbow drop combination by Finjuice for a two count. Rohit again gets involved, he takes Finley out on the floor, and that allows the heels to hit an assisted DDT for a near fall to Juice Robinson in the ring. We get a high double flapjack to Singh, and Finley slingshots himself over the ropes to the floor to take out Rohit. Then he heads back up top, and Finjuice execute, execute a doomsday device to Raj Singh to pick up the win here after about eight and a half minutes. I thought this was a good enough match for a pre-show. I was a little bit surprised at how much Rohit and Raj Singh got. They controlled a good middle portion of this where they sort of had the face in peril and we're isolating him and making frequent tags so I was a little bit surprised how much they got here because Finjuice were obviously going to win this match so I think it's nice that Rohit and Singh got to have a good showing as well. Uh, Rohit if you listen to me podcast at all you know Rohit is one of my favorites and I'm I think he's kind of underused right now I think he deserves a more prominent role than the one he currently has as sort of like a low-level tag team and also he's just had a partner magically switch right he had Mahabali Shera was his sort of muscle and second, and then all of a sudden it was just switched to Raj Singh, and I guess they're a tag team. So I think Rohit is capable of a lot more than this, but he did a fine job in this role. This was a decent tag team match to open the show. So the second match we get on the pre-show is Chelsea Green taking on Jordan Grace, who has Rachel Ellering with her. This is for the fairly new Digital Media Championship. I don't know what it means. They've never explained to us what it means. Jordan Grace was asked what this title means. She doesn't really know. But I guess it's being defended on the main show, which is not exactly digital media. So I guess maybe it is. I don't know. But anyways, it is a championship match. So this starts out quickly with some counters and near falls by each woman to start with Green, maybe having a bit of an advantage in the holds and counters. Then uh, at one point, Grace has her sort of head through the ropes and she catches a running knee from Green on the apron. We get a drop toe hold and the nice hesitation, hesitation drop kick by Green. Two body slams by Jordan Grace, and she goes for the third, but Green escapes and climbs up top. But Grace sort of gets Green, takes her off the top, hits a press slam. We then get some aggressive corner clotheslines and a hard Irish whip by Jordan Grace. She sends Green's shoulder first into the post a little bit later, hits her really fast double running knees and her diving back elbow before missing a Vader bomb in the corner. And Jordan Grace's combination of speed and power is pretty much... I can't think of any other women in any company who have the combination of speed and power that Jordan Grace does. So this combination looks really good, despite her missing the Vader bomb. We then get a boot and a stiff forearm from Rachel. Uh, there it is. There it is, folks. Rachel Green. I'm going to call her Rachel Green. Turn it into a drinking game if you want to. 
I can't stop myself. I know her name's Chelsea Green. I know Rachel Green's a character from Friends. Somewhere in my brain, it's cross-wired. It's going to come out. I apologize. So it is not Rachel Green. It's Chelsea Green with the stiff forearm and a boot. We get a curb stomp by Green as Grace is sort of hanging from the corner. Then a running stomp to the back by Green for a two count. Jordan, a little bit later, powers out of the unprettier and counters it with a pile driver for a near fall. And then um, Chelsea Green counters a muscle bustler into a gory special for two. Jordan Grace then counters another unprettier attempt into an electric chair. And she sort of hot shots Green, drops her um, forward face first off of the ropes. And then transitions quickly into her Grace driver. Pins Rachel, oh there it is, Chelsea Green. Um, to defend the Digital Media Championship in just over eight minutes. So, I mean, this is going to be a theme of this show. A lot of these matches did not get much time. Like, there's very few matches on this card that got over 10 minutes. So everything feels kind of short, especially coming off a pay-per-view, watching something like Full Gear, where every match, I mean, the only criticisms I really heard of that show was that some of the matches were too long because everything got a fair amount of time. So this show is kind of the opposite. Everything was around the 10-minute mark give or take like a minute and a half or so. So this was eight minutes, but I, I, I really like this match. I think it was better than some of the matches that were on the main show of this pay-per-view. I'm a huge fan of Jordan Grace. I think she's fantastic. These two worked really well together. For me, um, Chelsea Green's been kind of hit and miss. There's been matches I thought she's really looked good and matches where not so much. I thought this was one of the ones where she looked good. So I, I don't know why they felt that they should put a title match on the pre-show but maybe it's because it's the digital media title and nobody really knows what that actually means or what the point of that designation is. So they're sort of hiding it here. I don't know. I thought this match was good enough to be on the main show and it could have easily replaced a couple that did appear on the main show. But speaking of the main show, let's transition to that now. So right away, I think they made a very solid choice for the opener as we get Ace Austin taking on Chris Sabin. They've sort of had a lingering feud. Ace Austin has a win over Sabin, but it was also obviously with the help of Madman Fulton. So Sabin's been trying to talk Austin into a rematch, and he finally agreed. And it's a lot of the stories, Ace Austin has been wearing a shirt that said, I beat Chris Sabin, and uh, Sabin has vowed to win and take that shirt after the match. So we'll see what happens. Should be a fast, exciting match. Both of these guys, two of the more talented wrestlers in Impact Wrestling, as far as I'm concerned. A really big fan of Ace Austin. Uh, he's another one I think should have a more prominent role than he does. But anyways, let's see how this match goes. So Sabin controls the action early on until Ace Austin follows Sabin in for a springboard. And he counters that with a springboard of his own into a Russian leg sweep off the second rope. And so Austin takes control here. He hits a gut wrench suplex. Uh, but then Sabin gets a tornado DDT to sort of slow down Ace Austin's attack here. Missile dropkick to the back of Austin and a trapped German and a cool sort of DDT variation in a really nice sequence here from Sabin. We get a kick exchange ending in stereo, leaping insiguries that both men connect, so both men are down here for a minute. A little bit later, there's a tornado kick. Austin drives Sabin's head into the mat in sort of like a, I think it was, they didn't know what to call it. He kind of had his head trapped between his legs, I think, and sort of ended up driving it into the mat. We then get what commentary described, thankfully for me, as a helicopter famouser off the top rope by Chris Sabin, a superplex by Sabin. Obviously, Fulton's got to get involved here. So he causes a distraction, and that allows Ace Austin to crotch Sabin on the top rope. But Sabin ends up hitting a nice hesi hesitation dropkick and then knocks Fulton to the floor as well. Fulton throws the I Beat Chris Sabin t-shirt into the ring, 
and that he and then he sort of uses the ref is dealing with the shirt in the ring so Fulton then takes out Saban on the floor while the ref is distracted Austin uh, puts the t-shirt on but Saban then counters Austin hits his cradle shock for the win in just over 13 minutes so other than the result not being my preference I thought this was a really strong back and forth opener both of these guys are really quick have a lot of diverse offense in their sort of in their bag, in their repertoire, if you will. Saban looked really strong fighting off the interference from Fulton because that's basically been the story that Ace Austin needs his heavy um, in Fulton to sort of help him win matches. So Saban fights him off effectively here. I would have preferred Austin winning just because he's the young guy. He's the guy I think could be the face of this company going forward at some point or at least back in the X division sort of putting on amazing matches. But I did enjoy this match. I thought it was a really good opener to set the tone for this show. I still think these two have another gear, and it could be even better. Um, because, again, I say only 13 minutes. That's actually a lot of time on this show. But for me, a pay-per-view match that's had a pretty significant build and storyline to it, you could go 15 to 20, no problem. So I would have been okay if this got a couple more minutes. But even as it was, I thought it was a pretty good opener. So I was happy with this so far. We then move into a match that I was definitely not looking forward to, and that is Violent by Design being represented here by Eric Young and Joe Doring. They do have Diener with them. They're taking on Heath and Rhino. So this story's been going on for, what, a year? Better part of a year? Maybe over a year? Um, in my opinion, it should be over already, but this should definitely be the final interaction between these two. So Heath got injured. Rhino became part of Violent by Design, basically brainwashed, if you will, indoctrinated by Eric Young. Heath comes back, Rhino breaks free of Violent by Design. It was the question of will he join Heath or won't he? He did, and that leads to this match here, basically. Uh, so it starts out with some basic action and quick tags by both teams. Uh, then Doring looks like he legitimately slips and falls, and Heath uses that to take control. So Diener causes a distraction from the floor, and Diener gets sent to the back, but Doring sort of uses that brief distraction to run over Heath with a clothesline when Heath finally turns around. So Violent by Design now isolate Heath for quite a while and make frequent tags. Obviously the idea is Rhino's waiting for his opportunity to tag in and, and take apart this faction that has treated him so poorly in the past. We get a side slam elbow drop combo by Violent by Design for a two count. A body slam rebound elbow drop by Doring. We eventually do get the hot tag to Rhino and EY is sort of begging off here looking for mercy. But Rhino takes him out with a flurry ending with a belly to belly suplex. Things sort of break down. All four men are in the ring. Heath ends up getting posted here. Rhino goes to powerbomb Doring, but Eric Young, of course, uses his hockey mask that he wears uh, for his entrance. He knocks out Rhino with the mask while the ref is checking on Heath. Doring successfully pins Rhino. Violent by design, pick up the win after about eight minutes, and all I can think about is that this feud is not over, and I, I'm pretty surprised by that decision. This was a okay match but nothing more a pretty standard fare to be honest did not really feel like a pay-per-view match here the majority of this was violent by design isolating heath with pretty basic offense to be honest and then that led for what i thought an underwhelming rhino hot tag some of his facial expressions i thought were excellent but other than that i thought it was pretty standard stuff and then we get a distraction and dirty finish for the heels to win here uh, i mean one of my complaints about violent by design is they talk, 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 like they're some super dominant faction, but rarely ever win. So I guess 
I can't complain on one hand that they picked up the win here, but I really want to complain on the other hand because this feud is still... I don't think this feels like the end of this feud. So a feud that I thought should have ended months ago probably looks like it's going to be extended. It's one that I don't have any interest in. It's sort of locked these two mid-card teams in this very long feud together. I was hoping it would end here, but it looks like it's not going to. So just a decent match, really nothing special from this one. Gia Miller is then talking to Eddie Edwards ahead of his title match tonight in the main event for with the uh, Full Metal Mayhem. So Edwards says he has a long history with Moose and that tonight is Moose's first title defense and there's no champion's advantage in Full Metal Mayhem since anything goes, meaning he can't, you know, get DQ'd and keep the title or get counted out and keep the title, which is a fair point, I guess, from Eddie. Moose, uh, he goes on to say Moose has done terrible things, but tonight is the turning point and Moose will pay for his sins. Pretty straightforward babyface promo, nothing special, just something quick to say ahead of the match. So then we get another sort of fill-in on this card, as Rich Swan was supposed to be taking on Brian Myers, as Brian Myers has turned on his protege Sam Beal and had a vicious attack, I think it was with the chair, on BTI this week. So Rich Swan and Willie Mack have sort of stepped in and are taking up the fight here for Sam Beal. But for whatever reason, I think they've reported it as an injury Brian Myers was unable to attend. And they sort of, I don't know if they led people to believe this was going to be like a mystery opponent, but they just, it's not like they're bringing anyone in, even though there's been all of the releases from Ring of Honor and WWE lately. Instead, they went with a member of Myers' faction from the Learning Tree, and that is VSK. So VSK filling in for Myers, taking on Rick, Rich Swan here. Uh, Zicky Dice as well, he's also a member of Brian Myers' group, The Learning Tree, so he is along with VSK for this match. So we get a really fast start and a shotgun dropkick that sends VSK to the floor. There's a missed senton from the apron by Rich Swan, and VSK takes over and starts to immediately target Swan's back. We get a belly-to-back suplex by VSK, a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker by VSK, uh, spinning back fist, some jabs, and then a DDT by Rich Swan as he sort of takes over control for a little bit here. He hits a rolling splash as well. And then out on the floor, Matt, Willie Mack quickly takes out Zicky Dice, but VSK hits Swan with a modified sort of X-factor as Swan is in the ropes, which looked pretty cool. We get a Uranagi backbreaker and then immediately into a backstabber by VSK. Again, I really liked the way he was consistently targeting Swan's back here. We get a springboard cutter that catches VSK by surprise, and Swan hits a top rope splash for a near fall. Phoenix splash pretty much shortly after that, and it's all over. Swan pins VSK in what was just slightly over six minutes. So a very short match, especially on a pay-per-view, and sort of a, a guy thrown into this match we weren't expecting. But I thought this was a fun little match. I'm, I'm really impressed by VSK. He got a lot in here. He looked aggressive and crisp in his offense with the ability to sort of have a varied attack focused on Swan's back. So I thought VSK looked good here. I've, I've thought he's looked good on television as well. I think he's a nice addition to Impact Wrestling. Swan is almost always good in the ring. It's just kind of everywhere else. I'm not a huge fan of him. And I, I appreciate that he gave a lot to VSK, which is nice in this match. I think VSK is a useful piece for Impact. I would personally like to see him in the X Division because he's not a huge guy, and they have room for sort of different styles in there, as sort of evidenced by Macklin being in the X Division. So that's where I'd sort of like to see VSK. I thought this was a good match, but again, like a sub-seven-minute match. It felt like something fit more for TV and maybe not a pay-per-view, but that being said, I did enjoy the match for what it was. 
We then get a recap of the Moose, Matt Cardona, and Morrissey situation where um, Moose eliminated Morrissey, even though they had sort of an alliance, eliminated him from a battle royal match. And then Matt Cardona was involved in a title match as well. Um, so he feels he still belongs in the main title situation. But anyways, that was just a standard recap of that. And that leads us into Matt Cardona taking on Morrissey. And we're sort of led to believe that this will be the match to establish the next contender for the Impact World Championship. Because there's, unfortunately, they seem to have sort of removed Josh Alexander from that picture for now. And we'll come back to him a little bit later in this show. Uh, and I'll talk about it then. So it's Matt Cardona taking on Morrissey here. Cardona takes control early with a drop kick and a neck breaker um, out on the floor. Morrissey then catches Cardona and as he tries to land a drop kick on the floor. And he sort of has Morrissey by the legs and just swings him into the ring steps, which I thought looked pretty cool. We get back in the ring with clubbing blows to Cardona in the ropes and a big boot that then sends Cardona back down to the floor. Cardona sort of stems the tide briefly with a missile drop kick, but Morrissey quickly reestablishes his advantage just using his size and power again. Cardona eventually moves out of the way of a corner splash. Morrissey's sort of the idea is he hits his head on the ring post. I don't know if it was the most believable thing, but that's the story they're telling. He hits his head on the ring post. So then Cardona, off of that, hits two reboots that send Morrissey to the floor. Cardona follows him out there, but ends up taking a choke slam on the apron for his troubles. We get a referee bump, so he's not there to make the count after Cardona successfully hits the radio silence, but no pinfall because the ref's not around. Moose then makes an appearance. He comes in the ring, spears Cardona as the ref is still recovering, and he makes the count as Morrissey is just able to drape an arm over Cardona. So Morrissey wins the match with the help of Moose in about nine minutes. So um, I thought this was a solid match. I did not have high expectations for this. Cardona just kind of bores me. He, in my opinion, has never changed in the last, whatever, 15 years of wrestling. He's basically doing the exact same thing, which I'm not a huge fan of. And Morrissey, um, Morrissey, he's not super polished in the ring. He is a giant powerhouse. He looks really impressive, but singles matches with him are normally not my favorite. I prefer when they hide him in multi-man matches or tag matches. But anyways, I thought... This was not a fast-paced match by any means, but that's kind of what you're going to get in a Morrissey match. I thought Cardona played his part well, but again, he's just doing what he always does in every match. I'm not sure that Morrissey, in my opinion, should have needed help to beat Cardona. I think Morrissey could have been a little bit more protected here uh, by beating Cardona on his own. But I think the story is, and we're going to see it, it'll come up later, that uh, Moose is sort of protecting Morrissey's title shot because he did sort of say that he would get the next shot. Um, so I guess he's kind of keeping his alliance with Morrissey alive here. But we'll see where this goes and once we learn of Moose's motives and we see what happens later. Because it seems an odd decision for Moose. He is a heel and I know he did say that Morrissey could have the next title shot. But when you look at Morrissey, right, and just you would think that he would not be in a hurry to face this monster especially as a heel you would think he'd be quick to turn his back on Cardone or sorry on Morrissey but we'll see where it goes. Morrissey did look like a powerhouse in this match up until needing help at the finish and I guess the point is they're kind of keep trying to keep Matt Cardona looking somewhat strong that he didn't lose clean here and that he was toe to toe with this monster who needed help from another monster. But if it were me I wouldn't be concerned about keeping Matt Cardona looking strong but 
That's probably because I'm not a big fan of his work, so I don't think he needs to be kept strong, but that was the choice they made. So I thought this match was okay. It was, you know, f considering who was involved, and it was a quick nine minutes, kind of basic stuff, but not a bad match, I didn't think. We then get a recap of the Inspiration Decay storyline heading into this match, which isn't really much to it, to be honest. The Undead Bridesmaids were sort of inserted in the middle of it, and now we're back to uh, Inspiration taking on Decay here. So somehow this is the half of Decay that did not get quote-unquote whisked away to Wrestle House 2. So somehow they avoided that and are here for their match. And it is for the Knockouts World Tag Team Championships. So Rosemary attacks the second the bell rings and things spill out to the floor right away. They pair off on the outside and Decay are sort of dominating at this point as they head back into the ring. So Inspiration attack Havoc's arm to take control of the match. So they then cut the ring in half and continue to target Havoc's, Havoc's arm including a top rope double stomp. So it feels like this is inspiration trying to say, hey, we can do some technical wrestling because me included, the criticism of them is that they are not very strong in the ring. Their character work and their chemistry together is very strong. But in terms of being in-ring technicians, that is definitely not their strength. So it looked like they were trying to show a little bit here that, look, we can do some um, limb targeting and some variety in our moves as well. So Rosemary finally tags back in, but the ref doesn't see it, so that delays the hot tag a little bit longer. But uh, Havoc finally does make the tag, honestly, just a few seconds later. So I don't know why they had the spot of the ref not seeing the tag when the actual tag happens like a mere seconds later. They, I feel like they could have dragged that out a little bit longer. But anyways, so Rosemary comes in and takes out both of the inspiration with the flurry, including a sling blade and an exploder suplex. We then get a modified Muda lock by Rosemary, but McKay ends up pulling on Rosemary's hair to escape. We get a scorpion kick by Cassie, but then a quick German suplex by Rosemary. We get a boot powerbomb combination by the inspiration uh, from the apron to the floor, which I thought looked pretty nice. And then a Samoan drop by Havoc back in the ring to McKay for two. McKay uh, goes back to the arm of Havoc, and she distracts the referee so Cassie can hit a running knee. McKay then rolls up Rosemary as Cassie is sort of helping from the apron, and Inspiration do retain the titles here in just under 11 minutes. So I'm not saying that this was an amazing match, but I had very low expectations, so I would have to say that this match over-delivered for me. I'm just really bored by Decay at this point. I know people think that Rosemary's a strong in-ring competitor. I don't feel that way. I feel she moves very slowly. She has a few decent moves within her repertoire, but nothing that sort of dazzles me. And Havoc is Havoc. She has some cool power moves and things, but I'm just tired of the whole Decay aesthetic. It's not really working for me. And as I said, Inspiration are not really known for being um, in-ring generals at this point in their careers. So, But I think it was smart to have Inspiration target Havoc's arm. It's a simple way for them to deliver some offense that makes sense and um, makes them look like they kind of have some technical abilities. So I wouldn't say this match was great, but again, my expectations were low, and I think these four exceeded them slightly. I just find Rosemary really slow, so her hot tag is like a medium tag at best, I thought. And I also hope this feud is over, and I imagine it is, because as we talked about, Decay are on their way to Wrestle House. But honestly, there aren't many options in the Knockouts Tag Team division, so I don't know where it could go from here. We have Tasha Steeles and Savannah Evans, but they are a heel team as our inspiration, so that doesn't make a ton of sense. The only babyface tag team I can think of would probably be Jordan Grace and Rachel Ellering, but again, Jordan Grace is your digital media champion, so she's off doing other things there. 
So I really don't know who Inspiration's going to face next, but it looks like this should be over as Decay is gone, and I'm okay with that. So Gia Miller then talks to Chris Sabin backstage on the heels of his win over Ace Austin, and Sabin shouts that he beat Ace Austin, and he says that Austin's t-shirt is so nice and comfortable, and then he shows that he's altered it to say, uh, it changed it from I beat Chris Sabin to I am Chris Sabin. So I don't know, I didn't really see the point of this being on here, but it was, so there you go. We then get a match that I was really looking forward to, and that is an X-Division Championship match with Macklin, who just won his way into the match by beating Laredo Kid on Impact this past week. So it's Macklin, Laredo Kid, and Trey Miguel, the defending champion. Um, so this, I, I don't know, X-Division matches generally deliver for me. I'm a big fan of Laredo Kid, huge fan of Macklin. I think Macklin is awesome, and I'm somewhat surprised to be saying that every week, but he has thoroughly impressed me. Plus, his really aggressive, like, powerhouse style fits in well with X-Division, where everybody else at this point seems to be a really fast high flyer, so I like the contrast of Macklin being included in this. So I was really looking forward to this match, so let's see what happens. We start out with Macklin fighting off both of the smaller men. Uh, Laredo Kid ends up hitting a Hurricane Rana, and Trey Miguel lands some forearms to Laredo Kid on the outside of the ring. Macklin hits a suicide dive to both of the other men, Laredo Kid then hits a 450 from the apron to the floor that looked pretty crazy. Miguel gets a Pele kick, a Hurricane Rana off of an electric chair from Macklin. Um, wasn't perfectly executed at all. I give them full marks for trying to pull that off. It, it didn't look awful, but it, it clearly I don't think went the way exactly the way they wanted it to. But anyways, Macklin a little bit later hits an elbow drop from the apron to the floor. Kind of like Cactus Jack looked pretty cool. Macklin gets a Uranagi to Miguel in the ring, followed by an underhook backbreaker for a two-count. Laredo Kid, a little bit later, a high boot, a crossbody, and a neckbreaker that sends Macklin out of the ring into the floor again. Macklin then catches a Hurricane Rana from Laredo Kid, turns it into a powerbomb onto the apron. Miguel then has some quick kicks to Macklin, a stunner on the ropes, but Macklin catches Miguel with a boot off of that split-legged moonsault. Um, so he kind of picks up Laredo Kid in like a power slam position as Miguel is sort of set up for the crosshair in the opposite corner. So he runs with Laredo Kid holding him like a small child basically and hits the crosshair to Miguel while holding Laredo Kid, which I thought looked awesome. Laredo Kid later hits a Poison Rana. I'm always a sucky, sucker for those. And he hits his Laredo Fly off the top rope, which is basically a top rope belly to belly overhead it, it looks crazy so he hits that to Trey Miguel but Macklin uh, shows up to break up the pinfall there Laredo Kid then hits a forearm in the corner a Michinoku driver and he heads up top for what we assume is a 450 it is in fact a 450 but Macklin gets his knees up and then he hits the mayhem for all to Laredo Kid so this is um, Macklin's finishing move so as he's going for the pin here Miguel comes out of nowhere, hits a Meteora to Macklin to break up the pin. So he takes the time to cover both men here. And as the count is coming down from the referee, Macklin gets his shoulder up at the last second. But Laredo Kid does not. And there's a moment of confusion there with Trey. He's not sure what happens, but then he, we do get it confirmed. He does get the pinfall victory here as Laredo Kid is the one taking the pin. And Trey Miguel retains the X Division Championship in what was about a nine-minute match. So I thought this was an excellent match. Easily the match of the night up to this point. It wasn't perfectly clean, I'm not going to lie. There were a couple spots that probably didn't go as these guys intended. 
but they really tried to do a lot in a short time, only nine minutes here. Uh, and the minor errors were not enough to bother me, right? It's one of those things we talk about it on NXT. If your match is two minutes and it's all basic stuff and you botch, it's really noticeable and it's really hard to ignore. But if you have a nine minute match and you throw a lot of stuff out there and you're doing a lot of things and you mess up a couple, not a huge deal to me. So that's sort of the case here. I would have been totally fine if this had gotten a few more minutes and I think it probably should have. This is like the secondary title on your show. I think a nine minute pay-per-view match between three people is maybe not an ideal amount of time, but that's just me. I do think that the finish is pretty interesting. I'm guessing a lot of people won't like it. I personally didn't have a problem with it. Macklin looked like a beast throughout this match, and in the end, the babyface champion basically needed to steal the finish from him. So I think that keeps Macklin looking really strong. In addition to that, it's drawing attention to the fact that Macklin still has never been pinned or submitted in Impact Wrestling. He's lost matches, but he's it's always been multi-man, and he's never been the one getting pinned. So that can be a story going forward. I assume that that's going to lead to him getting a single shot in the near future for this title and that would be something I'd be very interesting in interested in sorry so I think this was a really fun sprint of a match I recommend this one Laredo Kid and Macklin really stood out to me Trey Miguel looked good too I'm just not a huge Trey Miguel fan my standard criticism of him is that he is unbelievably fast and does some crazy high flying things but sometimes his stuff doesn't look very impactful to me but he did a really good job here too. I thought this was a very fun nine-minute sprint of a match. We then get a recap of the Mercedes Martinez-Mickey James storyline, where basically they're former friends, there was mutual respect. Mickey came down to sort of help Mercedes Martinez out, and Mercedes um, sort of hit her with a sudden attack. I think it was an air raid crash. So obviously Mickey James is angry now, and this is how we got to this championship match. Mercedes was the number one contender because she won the Knockouts Knockdown tournament and looked like an absolute beast in that tournament. She had a couple of matches that I loved. I think it was Mercedes and Rachel Ellering, I believe it was, that I thought had an amazing match on that show. So I'm a big fan of Mercedes Martinez. I really like Mickey James too. She is just a pro. She excels pretty much in every facet of professional wrestling at this point. So I was looking forward to this match. So it is Mercedes taking on Mickey James for the Knockouts Championship. And we got lots of mat work to start with James sort of in control until a huge forearm and a chop from Mercedes. We get some Martinez, Martinez then counters a head scissors into a buckle bomb, follows up with a fisherman's buster, which I thought was a nice combination. Mickey fights back a bit later with a series of kicks, but Martinez counters Mickey's DDT into an air raid crash for a near fall that was also a nice counter. We get a half and half suplex by Martinez after a series of counters for a two count. They both head up top and Mercedes Martinez hits a nasty looking spider German suplex out of the corner. It looked really cool. We, she then applies a dragon sleeper with the legs hooked, but Mickey ends up escaping that and hits a short DDT. A Mickey sort of... Uh, the finish of this she kind of triple clutches like to get momentum I don't know if it was intentional or if she was just having trouble getting it started doesn't really matter it either looks like you know Mercedes was resisting it and Mickey just had to try really hard so it didn't really bother me she does end up hitting her big DDT for the win after nine and a half minutes so this one finishes Deanna Perrazzo sort of runs in out of nowhere aggressively applies the Venus de Milo to Mickey James uh, and then hits a really nice C4, which is Josh Alexander's move, but Deanna's hit those for quite a while as well. 
Deanna grabs the mic, holds the championship belt. She said she wants her championship and she'll get it at Hard to Kill. She drops the belt beside Mickey and then just walks out of the ring. So I really like this match. Um, I think Merce Mercedes Martinez is great to watch. She just has a series of really cool, high-impact moves that nobody else in the division, division does with such variety. Maybe Jordan Grace, but she... Um, Mercedes is just a believable killer in my opinion. I liked her promos. I like her work in ring. I sort of wish that she had been the one to win here. But that being said, I am glad to have a furious Diana Perrazzo back. She sort of seems to be shifting from this uh, calculating technical heel to now she's just angry and vicious, which I think is a, a cool idea. I look forward to the match between James and Perrazzo at Hard to Kill feels to me like Perrazzo should probably get the title back because Mickey James doesn't work for this company and is an executive in another wrestling company. So I would think at some point she needs to get back to work there. And I don't really know who is a legitimate champion possibility other than Mercedes Martinez and Deanna Perrazzo at this point. I would add Jordan Grace, but she's obviously already has a championship. So I don't know. The knockouts division, which when I started doing this podcast over a year ago was sort of a strength of their company is somewhat depleted at this point but I think Martinez is a really nice addition and I think she is a like top of the card performer that they can use going forward so I thought this was a good match it felt a bit short but again that's sort of the theme of this show uh, but a good nine minute match Gia Miller then interviews Scott Demore. Uh, he says that the match is official at hard to kill and that they've done lots of firsts, and for the first time ever at Hard to Kill, in order to determine a number one contender for the Knockouts Championship, they will have a Knockouts Ultimate X. So, interesting decision to take a X Division match and apply it to the Knockouts Division, and I'm not quite sure who all the women involved in that will be. Could be a pretty fun match, though, so I'm, I'm on board to see that. We then get a recap of the Good Brothers Bullet Club situation, and that is the next match. It's the Bullet Club being represented, unfortunately, here by Bay and Hikaleo. I was disappointed. Not a big fan of Hikaleo, and I am a big fan of El Fantasmo. So I was hoping that that would be the combination, but it's not. Shouldn't have been surprised because they're trying to convince us that this inevitable confrontation between Gallows and Hikaleo is some sort of big deal. It's not, because let's be honest, it's Gallows. So what could he possibly do? But anyways, so it's the Good Brothers taking on the Bullet Club here. And I watched this live, as I told you, so one of my big annoyances from watching this show live was not being able to skip through the Good Brothers theme and entrance. That song is painful. To me, it's an all-time bad one. Uh, makes Eddie Edwards' theme, which I can't stand, look really good. It's The Good Brothers theme is just that bad. But anyways, Chris Bay and Carl Anderson start out quickly. And for me, they offer the only combination of competitors in this match that I'm at all interested in seeing. So we get Hikaleo tags in and things slow down. But honestly, he tags out really quickly, which is a recurring theme here. Um, and then Anderson um, shoves Bay into the Good Brothers corner and he tags in Gallows at that point. We get a jumping kick by Bay and he tags Hikaleo back in who lands a couple of punches and then just tags out. Gallows gains control of Chris Bay and they both end up on the floor. Gallows pulls Bay back into the ring by the hair, and the Good Brothers dominate and taunt um, the Bullet Club. Carl Anderson ends up on the floor. Hikaleo rams him against the ring post as Chris Bay is distracting the referee. We get a power slam by Hikaleo to Anderson, a huge Carl Anderson spinebuster to Chris Bay, and Anderson is now needing to make the tag. So both men do tag, and we get the big men in, and they trade kicks and strikes. 
We get a sidekick by Gallows. Both men are down at this point. Big missile dropkick by Chris Bade Anderson a little bit later. Then we get a bay flurry that ends in a famouser as the big men are battling on the floor, leaving the smaller guys in the ring. So Bay goes for the art of finesse, but Gallows from the floor grabs him as he's in the ropes and holds him there and eventually sort of flips him backwards so he lands hard on his back. Anderson runs over, rolls up Chris Bay, and pulls on the tights. And the Good Brothers, of course, as if there was any other possible outcome, the Good Brothers retain their titles in about eight minutes. And I say their titles because I firmly believe that they are the ones deciding their own booking and when they will lose these titles. And I don't know when it is, but it needs to be soon because they are killing this tag team division, in my opinion. But that being said, I am pleased to say that I was a little bit pleasantly surprised by this match. I think keeping it fairly short was definitely a good idea in this case. Anderson and Bay were good together as expected, and Hikaleo's time in this match was really limited and smartly used, I thought. He would basically come in and hit no more than like three or four moves and then tag out, and even his brief face-off with Gallows, which was just strikes and kicks, actually looked better than what I expected to see, even though it was all pretty simple stuff. And of course, the Good Brothers win. That was never in doubt. I would love for Chris Bay and ELP, El Fantasmo, to sort of get the next title shot. They could use this finish to try and convince Scott Demore that they deserve another chance. Um, because, I don't know, the tag division isn't that exciting either. The Good Brothers are just make everybody ex other than themselves look bad. And I don't think they look particularly good either. But they're just untouchable. They're not going to lose. They don't lose in singles matches. They don't lose in tag matches. They don't particularly put a lot of effort, especially Gallows, into making their opponents look good. I really don't think they're adding anything, and they're just sort of holding up this division at this point. Um, so I, they really need, to, in my opinion, to get these championships off of the Good Brothers and on to literally anybody else. That being said, this was definitely not a classic match, but it was a solid tag team match. Better than I expected, but still nothing exceptional. So a bit of a surprise here as Josh Alexander comes to the ring to speak. And as he's making his entrance, Stryker does uh, tell us that this was not a part of the schedule, so he's not quite sure what's happening. We hear chants of get your belt back from the crowd before Alexander says that he beat Suzuki in this very ring two nights ago, which he did, and he should be happy, but he isn't. Um, and then basically he says that he's going to pull up a seat at ringside for the championship match tonight, and one way or another, he will get his title back. So the lights then flicker, and oh my goodness, it's Jonah, formerly Bronson Reed of WWE NXT fame. He shows up looking angry, immediately attacks Josh Alexander, and the crowd is really into this. He hits a body slam, two jumping sentons that look really solid, then a third one after a bit of a delay, and then a fourth one with a running start, and all of them look like they have really good impact. He then goes up top, hits his top rope splash, then a bunch of security guards come in to try and stop him, and he takes all of them out. We cut to Josh Alexander, who's on the mat, coughing up blood from all of these internal injuries from this huge man just jumping on top of him repeatedly. So Jonah stands over Alexander, says something to him, and then slowly heads up the ramp. He pauses on the ramp and then runs back down, climbs up, hits another top rope splash to just the destroyed Alexander at this point. And then Jonah takes some of Alexander's blood, wipes it across his chest, and finally does leave Alexander lying in the ring. And I just have my notes are, damn, that is how you debut a new wrestler, right? This was how you make somebody look strong off a of first appearance. 
Jonah looks like an absolute monster in a surprise debut in Impact. I don't know why he attacked Josh Alexander, but I'm willing to wait for an explanation. This was, I thought, a fantastic part of this show. He completely shows up and destroys a main eventer, leaves him lying in the ring and coughing up blood, which was a pretty cool visual as well. Just a fantastic beatdown, and they've made a star off of this one appearance, in my opinion. My only nitpick is I'm a little bit worried about Alexander drifting further from the title scene. I was absolutely in love with the story they built uh, with him sort of facing Kenny Omega and winning the championship for all of about a minute or 30 seconds or however long he had it. And I really worry that they're not going back to that and that we're going to forget about it and it's going to not feel quite as fresh as it did at that moment. Um, I hope they go back to it because they told a hell of a story and I don't think they've finished that story yet. They've sort of stopped before the finish, but I guess they can go back to it later. We'll have to find out why Jonah has selected Josh Alexander for his attack. But man, what an attack and what a surprise appearance. I really, this was one of the highlights of the show for me. Um, an awesome beatdown and a great debut for Jonah. We then get a recap of the Moose-Eddie Edwards situation, and it's been a sort of an ongoing thing. Moose has had interactions with Eddie Edwards' wife and with Eddie Edwards himself, leading up to Edwards winning a match to become the number one contender here. And then they had issues on this past week. They had a giant brawl involving some um, weapons and things, so this match got made a full metal mayhem match, So as Josh... Matthews would always say mayhem match, but it is mayhem for the Impact World Championship. Eddie Edwards challenging Moose. So this match gets every other match on the show did not get a ton of time. And it looks like they were maybe saving all of the time for this match because it's a lengthy one. So let's get into it. I've got a lot of notes because there was some craziness involved in this match. So there's a lengthy chop exchange, really stiff chops to start and no real advantage gained by anybody here. So they switch to forearms. Both men are staying on their feet at this point. We then get a boot by Moose, a German suplex by Eddie, but Moose pops right up, runs at Eddie Edwards, and then Moose ends up getting back body dropped over the ropes and through a table at ringside pretty early on and kind of out of nowhere. And the table just absolutely is demolished out on the floor. Uh, looked really good, actually. Eddie then follows up with a trash can to Moose out on the floor. We get a suicide dive by Eddie that is met with a cookie sheet to the head, but then he sort of gets up from that and is successful on a second attempt. Attempt. He then uses, uh, Eddie that is, uses cookie sheets to hit Moose in the head and the crowd is chanting for more. We get a huge power bomb to Eddie on the ramp from Moose. Moose then grabs a chair, uses it to choke Eddie Edwards as he's lying on the ramp. And I, I made a note here, you can hear a kid yell, um, end his life a couple times, which I thought was a bit aggressive. We then get a battle on the apron that leads to a nice Death Valley driver to Moose on that apron. Both men fall to the floor again. Eddie then slams a ladder into Moose, goes to get a trash can, but Moose hits a running boot and picks up Eddie and hits a nice power bomb onto the apron. Moose immediately picks up Edwards again, power bombs him, looks like it's going to be on the apron again, but then he turns around and power bombs him through a table this time that looked pretty good. Moose then um, do, does a bit of building with some ladders. He sets one up as you would normally set up a ladder and then spans a second one from the corner to that ladder that's been set up. Um, and then he goes back to the floor and runs Eddie Edwards into the post with a chair around his neck. So Eddie then managed to avoid a chair shot and sort of wears Moose out with a couple trash can lid shots before laying Moose on that ladder that Moose had set up himself. 
So Moose is lying across the ladder that's horizontal. Eddie climbs the ladder that's vertical. But Moose gets up, climbs the ladder on the other side, and the two are now battling on the top of this ladder. They sort of tease a superplex that, man, that would have been dangerous. But they go with something maybe almost as equally as dangerous because Eddie sort of goes to Moose's eyes and then ends up hitting a pretty nasty-looking sunset flip powerbomb off the ladder onto the other ladder and commentary draw our attention to sort of Eddie, Edward, Eddie Edwards' knee awkwardly going through the ladder at that point in what was a pretty crazy-looking spot. Eddie then goes and gets a chair from under the ring, or sorry, a chain from under the ring, wraps it around his knee, and it's funny because he's done this before, and then the chain just won't stay in place, right? He's trying to wrap it around his knee, but it just keeps sliding down. So this time when he grabs the chain, the commentary point out how prepared Eddie is because the chain has a roll of tape attached to it so that Eddie can wrap the chain around his knee and tape it in place, which I thought, if you know you're in a Full Metal Mayhem match, absolutely, you can plant things under the ring. So this didn't bother me at all, and it made sense and was kind of a funny callback to anyone that's noticed uh, the problem before when the, the knee the chain around the knee it just sort of slides down Eddie's leg so he came up with a solution for that and it makes sense but Moose catches the first attempt at a Boston knee party and he hits a urinagi as a counter Eddie then does a really nice job of sprawling to avoid Moose's spear and then he hits some driving knees to Moose's head and actually delivers a tiger driver to Moose as well Moose then catches another attempt at the Boston knee party and he power bombs Edwards into a ladder that's leaning in the corner but Eddie sort of fires up from that and runs right at Moose and does in fact hit a Boston knee, knee party for a very near fall here. Each man are outside the ring again. They go under the ring and pull out a kendo stick each. They meet in back in the ring, sort of in the middle. They take uh, kendo shots from each other, ending with one shot to the head. Both men are down. So then Morrissey makes his appearance to sort of return the favor to Moose, I guess. He gets in the ring. A very quick attack to Eddie Edwards, nothing major, and then he holds Eddie Edwards in place so Moose can hit his spear, but Matt Cardona runs down. The ref is distracted so by all of the Cardona running down, so he does not count the pinfall of Moose after the spear. So Morrissey and Cardona then brawl up the ramp. Eddie Edwards hits a kendo stick shot and a DDT to Moose for another near fall. Eddie then goes under the ring, gets some scissors, and he cuts the straps that are holding the mat in place. He exposes the wood on pr pretty much like a quarter of the ring at this point, so we've just got exposed boards in one quarter of the ring here. Moose avoids a tiger driver that would have put him on the boards, and also what looks like Eddie was going for a DV DV uh, DVD, which is a Death Valley driver, sorry. So Moose avoids both of those. He kicks Edwards low and then hits a Uranagi on the exposed boards, Eddie kind of manages to pull himself up here, but walks right into Moose's spear, and that is enough to earn the pinfall, and Moose retains the Impact Heavyweight Championship, or World Championship, or whatever they call it. He retains it in just over 31 minutes. So listen, I do not always love hardcore matches. I sometimes find them a bit lazy, and the stuff is just kind of standard. That's not the case here. This match was insane. I really enjoyed this match. Just a fantastic main event. The pace was fairly deliberate throughout this, but this works because Moose 
especially for Moose, because he really feels like he is just stalking his prey. Like he hits a big move, takes his time, hits another big move, right? So I, I think it really works for Moose's style. There were so much high-impact, cool-looking moves along the way in this. Just really cool use of things that are in every hardcore match, but here used really well, I thought. And also adding some objects you don't normally see in matches, like scissors coming out and exposing the wood and all of that stuff. Uh, the result of this match was never in doubt. I never thought Eddie Edwards was going to win this match for a second. But these guys pulled out all the stops, and this was a really strong main event. Moose looks like an absolute beast in this, and Eddie looks fantastic too. He looks like that guy who will never give up, takes a ton of a ton of punishment, and just keeps fighting till you basically have to kill him to win. So Eddie's kind of got this spot as like the placeholder challenger. They don't seem to want to put the belt on him a lot. Um, but they want to have him as a reasonable challenger for for somebody. That's what we call on FNS Wrestling, like a placeholder challenger. He's the challenger until whoever the le next legit one is to face Moose. So this got a ton of time, but I was pretty captivated by the entire thing. I thought this was an excellent main event. event sorry, the match of the night for sure. I would recommend people seek this match and watch it on a show that isn't really full of things I would recommend. This was a standout match. Really great performance by Moose in his first title defense and a great showing by Eddie Edwards, who, if you listen to this podcast, I'm not a huge fan of Eddie Edwards. I just think he's kind of, he's one of those good hands, right? Like he's a really good wrestler, but I don't get much else off of him. There's nothing, I don't find him very charismatic or engaging, but he is definitely capable of putting on a good match and he did exactly that here. So overall, despite how much I enjoyed this main event, I would have to say this was a decent but overall kind of missable show. The main event was excellent and something I would recommend people check out. And everything else on this show was kept fairly short, which might not be a bad thing. Some people might appreciate that the length of these matches. Um, but especially for a pay-per-view, I thought some of the matches were a bit brief. I really liked the X Division Championship match. I really liked the Knockouts Championship match. A couple other matches over-delivered, like the um, Knockouts tag match and the uh, Good Brothers tag team match. So those two over-delivered, but I still wouldn't say they were strong enough matches that you need to go out and see them. Just better than I thought they would be. The highlights of this show for me were for sure the main event, um, the X Division match, the Knockouts championship match, the debut of Jonah, which I thought was fantastic. That's something I'd recommend people check out. I'm sure Impact will be posting that all over YouTube. And I also enjoyed the return of Deanna Perrazzo and her sort of vicious attack on Mickey James, setting up a hard-to-kill match that I really want to see. So all of the other things outside of that were just kind of there. Um, not that I didn't enjoy, like the VSK match was good, but it doesn't feel like it needed to be on a pay-per-view. So this show earns, all that being said, a grade of B- from me. There were enough good things on this show to keep it out of the C range, which is where it gets into like you don't really need to see anything on this show. So highly recommend the main event. Highly recommend um, Jonah's debut. And then if you've got time, check out the X Division match and the women's match. Only And the other things kind of felt like filler, to be honest, and were just stuff that really wasn't that interesting to me. And some of it I don't think necessarily felt like it belonged on a pay-per-view. But there were enough good things on there for me to say that this was a B-. The show didn't waste my time. Really enjoyed a few things. And then a few things just kind of felt like filler. So that's going to bring me to the end of this review of Turning Point 2021. I'd love to hear what your thoughts were if you saw the show or your thoughts on our podcast or anything else from the world of wrestling. So if you'd like to reach out to us, it's fnswrestling at gmail.com. Sorry, that comes to me. We also have an Instagram account at 
um, FNS underscore wrestling underscore podcast. That goes to my teenage son, Jackson, who co-hosts with me on our Saturday flagship shows. But he'll let me know of anything interesting that comes through there. Or you can just leave a comment in YouTube if that's where you happen to be listening to this podcast. But like I always say, I really do appreciate any time you spend listening to me talk about wrestling. I hope that this free offering of a review of an Impact show, because again, I find it hard to find any free coverage of Impact Wrestling. And I just had a bit of time and I watched the show, so I show it struggling to speak here at the end. So I thought I would just come down to the basement before I start watching football on a Sunday and talk about what I thought of this pay-per-view. So I really do appreciate any time you spend listening to me. And I imagine I'll be back probably tomorrow to talk about some Ring of Honor. If not, we'll definitely be back on Saturday with episode 71 of our main show to talk about NXT and AEW Dynamite and Impact TV, some trivia and anything else that sort of comes up along the way. So I hope to see you all back here for whatever the next episode we put out is. And until then, take care.